Well, good morning, church. Come on, we knew about that. Good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. Today, we are going to continue in our series, Together. And we talked a lot of last week about together and togetherness. And I'm just going to say this is kind of where my heart's at. We're going to talk more about it today. But last week, we reminded us of several things. And really, we talked about the truth of togetherness, right? And we said a few things about togetherness. One thing we said was that there is unity. And even though there's unity, there is what? You remember? Diversity. While there's unity, there's diversity. We're thankful not everybody looks like Doug in the room. And the body of Christ is the same way. Now, maybe you wish you did, but we, most people don't. So anyway, you know, in the body of Christ, we're the same way. There's unity because we are united in Christ, but yet we are diverse. We all have different gifts and abilities, which means this. Please don't miss this. It means you are valuable to the kingdom of God. You're valuable to the body of Christ. You matter. And maybe you need to hear that this morning. You matter. And so we talked about that truthfulness. We also talked about the truth that we need each other, that we need togetherness. And I hope if you didn't write it down, you write it down today, that one of the greatest truths we can learn in the body of Christ is this. We need to learn interdependence, not independence. We need each other, right? You need somebody else, say amen. And if you didn't say amen, you're just wrong. We need one another. You are not skilled, talented, or gifted enough to make it through this life without needing somebody else. We need each other, and we need to remind that. Also, we talked about this. We talked about that the glue to togetherness is love. The way that togetherness is maintained is through love. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 what that love is to look like. So we talked about the truth of togetherness. Now, I, just want, I want to share my heart this morning because that is where this pastor's at. That's that, I mean, when we start talking about this series together and I began to pray about it, the thing that God has been dealing with me is this issue of togetherness, this issue of being united but yet diverse, this issue that we need each other. The body of Christ is one body, many parts. And I'm just going to tell you, as you think about that, I want you to know that that's where God has been dealing with me. That's where my heart is at. In fact, I just want to kind of give you a heads up about this, just kind of let you know is that I'm not the sharpest tool in the tool shed. So that means this. If God is dealing me with something, I don't easily get over it. I don't easily work through it. So for the next several weeks, you're probably going to be hearing the same kind of thing come out of my mouth over and over again because it's something that God is reminding me how desperately we all really do need each other. You know, if you were to ask me, hey, pastor, what do you feel like is one of the greatest things that you want to be able to say about this church? I mean, what's one of the greatest things you want this church to accomplish? You might say, well, do you want to see people saved? Well, that's a no-brainer. Yes, I want to see people saved. Do you want to see people grow in their walk with the Lord? Absolutely, I want to see that. But can I tell you what is very high on my list this morning, what God has been dealing with me about that I want to be high on our list is this, is that I want people to walk through that door to feel love, connected, and like they've just become part of a big old family. That's what I want. If you want that, say amen this morning. I want that. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, pastor, are you saying that we're not that? No, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, I would say out of all the churches I've ever been a part of personally, this is one of the most loving, caring churches I've ever been a part of. I mean, I could tell you story after story, stories that not everybody knows how this church has risen up in different compartments and met the needs of others and loved on others and served others. But what I'm saying is I want this church to be a place that when people walk through that door, when they come into this place, they feel like I've become part of a family. Now, here's why that's important. Here's why God is dealing with that with me is because we have been blessed in the last six months. 
I mean, since we've kind of begun working, be able to meet collectively together, I know COVID is back up on the rise, but since we've been coming together, God has been blessing us with some amazing people. We have a ton of new families, a ton of new young adults, a ton of new students, a ton, I mean, just a ton of new people coming, and I'm so thankful. These are some of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life. But as we grow, here's my concern. Because you hear this all the time. I even had somebody tell me this two weeks ago. Well, you know, it's great to have a family environment, Pastor. But, you know, as the church begins to grow, you'll lose that. And I just want to say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, right? Because I don't believe you. I don't agree with you. And I begin to pray, God, what is it that's going to keep the love that we have now at 180 of us, the same love we have when we're, however God chooses to grow this church, however much Jesus wants to grow this church, how do we maintain that sense of togetherness? And I'm just telling you, it's by us having a heart to feel like when people walk through that door, they're loved, they belong, and that we are family to them. That's what I want. I mean, I'm telling you, that is really where I'm at. So as we grow, that just is part of who we are, not something we have to fabricate and force to do. So here's what I, here's what I want you to do. On every other seat, you saw this, a place to serve. Grab that sheet of paper real quick, because I want to highlight before we jump into the, me- the, the main part of the message today. And there's a lot of places. Some of you, man, you've been around here for a while, and you're serving different capacities. Wonderful. Love you. Thank you for that. Uh, here's what I want to do. The, how are we going to do what I'm talking about? How are we going to make it where we continue to be a church that feels so much like a family, and then when new people come in, they feel like, man, there's something different about this church. Now, everybody look at me. That is a common conversation I have with people that are new to our church. Man, those people... Are loving. And, and they say it in a very complimentary way, sometimes maybe even a little bit of an annoying way. Like, man, they are just like, they're really friendly people. They really love people. And I'm like, I know that's why I fell in love with them too, because it's a loving church. So how are we going to maintain that? How are we going to keep it if we can continue to grow? Well, obviously there's many areas you can serve, but the one I want to highlight is the welcome team. Can I tell you something? That people feel loved and like a sense of family long before they walk into these black pipe and drape. And we want to expand our host teams. And if you would have helped me and you feel like this is your heart to do the same thing, and some of you say, well, pastor, I serve in children's ministry once a month. Great, because there's three other Sundays. We'd love to have you on the host team. Or you may say, well, I don't serve anywhere. Well, it's a great entry point. Listen, if you can smile and you can say good morning with an enthusiastic personality, we need you. We want to take our host teams beyond the front door out into the parking lot. We want people, when they pull in that parking lot, to feel like this is home for me. And it takes every single one of us. So today, I'm going to give you permission of something I never give you permission to do. Even while we continue on, you have permission to fill that thing out. You have permission to write on that going, you know what, I want to be part of that host team. And as you leave, you can drop in that bin back there if you feel led. Listen, I would love to have 10 or 12 new people today say, I want, listen, we have a, a team already in place that's doing an incredible job. Joe, under Joe Vegas' leadership, I mean, they're doing an incredible job, and I love them. But we want to expand that team. Right? Yeah, give Joe a hand. She's done a great job. But you want to expand team. The only prerequisite is can you smile and can you in love engage people? Now, I say that's a prerequisite because I've known some people on host teams before that couldn't do either one of those. That's a little bit touchy, right? So we want you to be able to smile and love on people. Listen, here's why I'm saying all this. Because I really want us to be a church that when people walk through that door and into our parking lot, they go, I've just showed up home. I've just found my spiritual family. And guess what family does? I sound like a mafia guy. Family takes care of family, don't they? Right? <laughs> Family takes care of family. And if you're new to our church, I hope you felt that way. Now, I say all that to lead into this, that as we think about togetherness, what I want to do the next couple of weeks is I want to flip the script a little bit. We've been talking about the truth of togetherness, 
But as a pastor, one thing that I'm always on the lookout, and it's not because I always see the glass half empty rather than half full, it's because I know that we have an enemy out there that wants to do all he can to keep our togetherness, and he wants to fracture it, right? We have an enemy out there who wants to break our togetherness, wants to convince us that we are not unified in Christ, and wants us to have about our own agendas and our own motives. So what I want to do the next couple weeks, I want to talk about two issues that I believe can fracture togetherness And I want us to look at the words of Jesus and find how we're actually supposed to handle those issues. The first one is the issue of conflict. Now, we are surrounded by conflict, are we not? Amen? Culturally, politically, socially, we are surrounded by conflict. I mean, everywhere you turn, as Elijah talked about this morning, everywhere you turn, we are surrounded by conflict, aren't we? Are you you not surrounded by conflict? Sure we are. In fact, if you read scripture, if you were to even go through the book of Acts, the book of Acts had conflict. And there was a point in the book of Acts, early in the book, where there was conflict over how they were treating the widows, and they had to address that issue. There was conflict. There's another part of conflict where it says that Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. Let me tell you what sharp disagreement means. They had an argument, right? They had a conflict between the two. So there's conflict. Yet, even in the face of conflict, we can recognize this in the church, that while we're surrounded by it, conflict in the church is inevitable. Do you agree with that, church? That conflict in the church is inevitable. Somebody is going to hurt you. And I hate that, and it's going to happen. And so we've got to look at this. I mean, while conflict is inevitable, we're still, we still have the words of Jesus and the words of the Apostle Paul that echo in our mind. Jesus said that the people around us, the world, how do they know us? By our love we have for one another, right? And if conflict arises and we don't demonstrate love, guess what? We're sending a message to a lost world. The Apostle Paul says that we're to live in harmony with one another, that we're to do all that we need to do to make sure that we maintain the peace in the body of Christ. And so while there's conflict is inevitable in the body of Christ, it's important for us, it's a valid point for us to take some moments and to talk about how do we deal with that conflict. Now, quick question or quick thought. I'm not asking you how you handle conflict. We want to look at how Jesus says to handle conflict. Because I promise you, most of us will not handle conflict the way that Jesus handles conflict. But I'm telling you, the reason it's so valid for us to talk about conflict this morning is because it not only gives us room for spiritual growth and relational growth, it also gives us room to help maintain togetherness in the body of Christ. Listen, will this church ever experience conflict in the body of Christ? Yes. Yes. And how do we deal with that conflict? So today we're going to talk about the rules of engagement. You ready? The rules of engagement. And I'm going to give you five this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to a familiar passage, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And I'm going to give you this morning five rules of engagement. I want to tell you right up front, everything I say this morning is not going to be new to you. If you've been in church at any season of your life or any period of time, you've probably heard this passage. You've probably heard what I'm going to say. But here's where it gets difficult. When you take these rules of engagement, you actually apply them. That's where it gets tough. So if you have Bibles, Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to begin reading in verse 15. And today, because it's a short passage, I am going to ask you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Verse 15 through 17. Actually, I'm going to read through verse 20, but only the first two verses will be on the screen. It says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two along with you, that every uh, charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be uh, to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two are agreement about anything they ask, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. For we are two or three are gathered in my name. There am I among them. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for your word. And I pray that today that we would understand that one of the greatest threats to togetherness is conflict in the church. God, may we really lean in this morning to how you tell us, Lord Jesus, to deal with conflict, and may we make it part of our lives. For it's in your son's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Here's the first rule of engagement. If, you know, listen, I, now you, may, you may not need to think about this a little bit, but one of the greatest threats to togetherness is conflict in church. I've seen churches split. I've seen fights break out. I've seen people leave churches over conflict, and they don't do it the way Jesus said to do it. So here's the first rule of engagement. You ready? Deal with your offense, not others. Deal with your offense, not others. Now go back to what he said in verse 15, the very first part. He said, if your brother sins against you. Now brother here is something we need to establish. He's talking about another Christian brother, not someone who's pretending to be a brother or sister in Christ, not someone who's kind of saying they're a Christian but they're not living the life. He's talking about a legitimate brother or sister in Christ. So they are a Christian who's come against you. He said, if a brother sins against you. Now the word sins, while it appears to be plural, it is not plural in the original language. He's not talking about a brother who does multiple sins against you. He's talking about someone, that word sins there actually gives the, the, the tense of it, gives the overtone of someone who commits a, one sin over and over and over and over and over again against you. So when he says when a brother sins against you, he's talking about a brother who has a perpetual sin that they do against you. Maybe that's they lie to you. Maybe that's they cheat uh, on you. Maybe that's they, they gossip about you. But it's not just a momentary sin. It's a sin that they do perpetually. Does that make sense? Say amen. So that's what he's talking about. When a brother sins against you, not just one time, multiple times the same sin. Now, here's why I point that out. Because... There are moments of conflict, and then there is real conflict. Are you with me on that? There's moments. Here's what I mean. A moment of conflict is maybe um, somebody says something to you in a way that they shouldn't have said it to you, and later they come back to you. You know what? I, I was a little bit hateful. I was kind of a jerk when I said that, and I'm kind of sorry. That's a moment of conflict. So Jesus, what Jesus lays out for us as rules of engagement is not for those who, I mean, you just kind of have a momentary moment of conflict. And quite honestly, let me say this. Some of us get our feelings hurt really easy, right? You, you know who I'm talking about, right? I don't know you, but you know who I'm talking about, right? And I think we need to follow maybe my grandma's rule of theology. And here it was. You need to build a bridge and get over it, right? Because some of us, everything hurts our feelings. And there's a point where we're like, you know what? That's, I need to let that go. That's, that's really, listen, because they squeeze in the middle of the toothpaste, who really gives a rip, right? That's not a real conflict in my home. Because the toilet paper's on backwards, or my husband forgets to take the trash out. In my case, it's David because he does all the chores. That's why we had kids. So, so anyway, you know, that, that's a moment of conflict. That's not real conflict. Are you with me on that? Jesus talking about real conflict. The kind of conflict 
that happens over and over and over again, and the offense is against you. So Jesus says this. You need to make sure, he says, if your brother sins against who? You. Hear me on this. It's your offense. They've come against you. And so what I want us to know is that we need to make sure that we deal with your offense not others' offense. In other words, when Jesus says, if a brother sins against you, he's saying, if a brother continues the same sin, this perpetual sin against you, you've got to address it. But he says, you need to address it. Now, hear me on this. This means a couple of things. First of all, it means this. If the offense is not against you specifically, it's not your job to handle it. Are you with me on that? If it's not specifically against you, it is not your job to resolve it. That's important for us to know. I guess, you know, my dad would have said this way, if it's not against you, butt out, right? I mean, it's really what he's saying. Now, at the same token, if you know a person who's had offense against them, you can be wise counsel for them, you can be encouragement for them, and you can be support for them. But on one hand, if the offense is not against me, it's not my job to resolve it. Now, do you hear me on that? Are you, are you with me this morning, church? Because too many of us, and we'll talk more about this next week when we talk about boundaries, too many of us pick up other people's offenses and we shouldn't pick up. We only make it worse, not better. Here's the second thing it means. If we're to take up our own offense, it also means this. You can't default to someone else. I can't ha have an offense. You know, maybe, maybe Steve has offended me and I go to uh, Michael over here and say, Michael, man, would you go take care of Steve for me? No, I don't mean take him out. I mean, would you, would you go? I, I didn't mean that. That was not what I meant to say. <clears throat> would you go handle that for me? No, 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 you can't do that. When I was in student ministry and he really even as pastoring, you'd be not surprised at all the number of people that would come my way and tell me about an offense that had gone against them, and then literally look me in the eye and go, would you, would you take care of this for me? No. It's not my offense. Can I be wise counsel? Yes. Can I support you? Yes. Can I encourage you? Yes. But you have to handle your offense, not me. So if you've been offended by someone, you can't pawn that off to somebody else. So the first rule of engagement that we need to know is this. You need to deal with your offense not somebody else's defense. Now, the second rule of engagement is maybe one of the most important. It's found, and it's this. It's go to the person. Go, don't simmer. Go, don't simmer. Look at verse 15 again. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. That word go is in the active tense, which means it's a command of Jesus. If someone has brought offense against you, now remember, offense is not toilet paper on wrong, we have toothpaste squeezed in the wrong place. We're talking real offense here, all right? I mean, and you, look, you don't need a book for me to tell you what's a real offense and what's not. We all kind of get that, right? We know what a real offense is. He says, when they've offended you, it's your offense and it's your responsibility to go, don't simmer. And this word go is in the active tense, which means it's a command. You're commanded. If someone's offended you, you got to go. Now, here's the problem with that. Most of us don't like confrontation. Anybody like confrontation in the room? You're a rarity if you do. Most people do not like confrontation. We will avoid confrontation like we could avoid the flu. I mean, we would stay away from it as far as we possibly can. But have you ever been offended by someone like Jesus is talking about? Probably so. And what did you do with it? Well, I did with what I always do with it, Doug. I swept it under the rug and hoped it would just go away. 
right? Here's the problem for most of us. We don't go, we simmer. We chew on it. As my grandma would say, they would stew over it, right? You would sit there and you would just let it kind of smolder within you. And here's the danger of simmering versus going. It creates unnecessary anger. It creates bitterness. It can create rage in your heart. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But here's the worst part. It hardens your heart. When you let that offense just sit there and just simmer, you become callous to it. But here's what Jesus says. I want you to go. And I want you to tell them their fault. That phrase, tell them the thought, means I want you to bring it to light. Now, notice here, this word fault takes us back to this word sins. The fault is the singular version of what he says when he says sins. If a brother sins against you, that's that perpetual sin, whatever it is. Now he calls it singular, a fault. Now, here's the point of what Jesus is saying. Is if a brother sins against you, go and bring to light his fault. Here's where that's important. You're not to go to them and bring up every fault they have because we've got a lot of faults. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, I want you to address the fault of the offense. Not a fault that happened 10 years ago. Not a fault that happened six months ago. I want you to singularly address the fault at hand. Now, if you're a married person, you know that you failed at this many, many, many times, right? Because we like to leverage the past and bring it into the present. And he says, I don't want you to do that. I want you to go address the singular fault that's perpetually happening against you. That's what I want you to know. Listen, I know some of you, because you're wired a little bit like me, and you're kind of going, okay, so my job is to deal with my offense, not other people's offense, okay, and I'm commanded to go, not simmer, okay, I'm going, and I'm going to unleash on them, right? I'm going to go, and I'm going to speak my what? My mind. Now, let me just give you a prerequisite to going. We need to have the same heart that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. He says, if you catch a brother in sin or basically find a brother in sin, you're to go to them. But he says this, before you go point the speck out in their eye, I want you to take the log out of your eye. Now, why would Jesus say that? Because if we have a log in our eye, first of all, can you see their sin adequately? Think about it. If I put a plank in your eye, could you see the speck in my eye? Listen, there's no way I would want you to deal with the contact in my eye if you had a log hanging out of your eye, right? No way, because you can't see it clearly. And also, if you take the log out of your eye first and then come to me, what are you going to come with? You're not going to come harsh. You're not going to come condemning. You're going to come with grace. You're going to come with mercy. You're going to come with kindness. Why? Because you understand you just took a log out of your eye. You're just as sinful as I am. And you're going to come with compassion, right? So I'm going to tell you, as you go and don't simmer, we need to go with a spirit of compassion, a spirit of kindness, a spirit that knows that we too offend people. We too have conflict with people, and we need to go with a tender, tender heart. If you get that church, say, I got it. I'm telling you, that's a big deal. Now listen, at the same token, the only way for true reconciliation to happen is if truth is spoken. So Jesus says, listen, you have to bring to light their fault. Let me give you the third rule of engagement. You're going to love this one, is go to the person, not to people. Go to the person, not to people. Look what it says in verse 15 again. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and who? You and him alone. You and him alone. Not your BFFs, 
not your Facebook posse, not all those people. Listen, we have a tendency when I have been offended, I go tell people, not go to the person. And here's just a quick question. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we find the need to go to people instead of going to the person? Well, I can tell you why. You're like, well, I don't know why. Well, let me tell you why you do that. Because you want to build an army of supporters. You want it to be you guys against that person. You want to build an army, a team around you that can go, hey, Doug is right. Come on. You need to snap out of this thing. And what Jesus says is, listen, if a brother sins against you, you got to go handle it. You go point out their fault, but you go between you and him alone. You go to the person, don't go to a group of people. Listen, when you go to that person, you don't take an entourage with you. I mean, that's called teaming up on somebody, right? He says, you need to go handle it with that person, you and him, or you and her, alone. Now, what does that mean? That means this. That means that you're willing to do it face-to-face. Now, this is where it stinks, right? That means when you go to them, it needs to be face-to-face. Here's what I mean. doesn't mean you do this through a text message. Are you with me? Because here's what we all know. You can read tone into text, right? You can read attitude into text. You could say something kindly, and if the other person on the other end has a heart that's not as kind as yours is, they will read it angrily, and it will make greater tension in the relationship. So it means you don't do it through text. If you're with me, say amen. Because I don't want you doing it. And it also means you don't put it on Facebook. Don't put it on Facebook. We had a lady in our last church, and God love her, which typically, you know, when someone says God love her, that means, you know, I hope God bless her, but she was crazy about this stuff. And so, so she, would, she would literally go on Facebook and write this monologue. Like, and I don't know why I read it. I guess I just found humor. This large monologue of how she'd been offended and hurt, and then she would always end it, by not naming any names, she would always end it by saying this, and you know who you are. Well, do you think she ever got resolved for that? No, but you let everybody else know, hey, somebody's hurt me and I want you to be on my team. And we need to be willing to go face to face. And listen, if you're not willing to go face to face, maybe it really wasn't as much of offense as you thought it was. Maybe you're making a mountain out of a molehill. And maybe that's a bridge you need to build and get over. But if it's a real offense, you need to go to him face to face. It also means this, we need to do it in private, not public. Do it in private, not public. You may say, well, pastor, they offended me in public. I don't care. Jesus doesn't give an exception clause to this. You're to go to that person <coughs> alone. That alone means just between the two of you, but it also means in private. If someone has offended you, go to them in private. Because when you do it in public, guess what happens? A bunch of Christian people or non-Christian people, they love to take your information they overheard in public, and they like to run with their own assumptions about what they heard, and all of a sudden the gossip train begins to happen, and what could have been a conflict resolved turns into this massive explosion of relationships. See, Jesus knew what he was talking about, church. He said, I want you to go to the person, not to people. Let me give you the fourth rule of engagement. It's this. Seek to reconcile not retaliate. Seek to reconcile, not retaliate. Look at verse 15 again. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. See, oftentimes when you have an offense against you, what is your first response? How am I going to get them back, right? Come on, right? What can I do? How can I make them feel the pain 
that I have felt. Or if it's been public embarrassment, how can I embarrass them like they've embarrassed? Our first response too many times is to retaliate, to bow up and retaliate. But what Jesus is telling us is we need to have a heart willing to seek reconciliation, not retaliation. See, when Jesus wrote this, what do you think Jesus' goal was? I mean, think about it. When Jesus spoke these words in Matthew 18, what was his goal? Was his goal to pay somebody back? Was this goal to retaliate against someone who's truly hurt you? What was his goal? It was to bring them back. Reconciliation was the goal that Jesus had, which means this. When someone has offended us and we go to them, we need to check the motivation of our hearts. Is my heart driven by retaliating or is my heart driven by reconciling the relationship? And Jesus says, listen, I want you to seek to reconcile not retaliate. And let me give you the last one. And this is a very much a mafia statement. Listen to this. Here's the last rule of engagement. Keep it in the family, right? Keep it in the family. Look at me, verse 16 and 17. But if he does not listen, take one or two along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. If someone in the body of Christ, brother in Christ, has offended you, and you've truly gone to them and not simmered, and you've gone to the person and not to a group of people, and you've truly gone with the heart to reconcile and not retaliate, and they don't listen to you, here's what I want you to do. Keep it in the family. What family is he talking about? The body of Christ. Listen to me. The greatest rebuke and the greatest discipline for any believer should always come from the local body of Christ, not from the world. And if you don't believe me, just read the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians. He's hammering the church of Corinth for taking their biblical, private, Christian, spiritual matters and trying to try them in a court of law by the world. Listen, does the world give a rip about how God does things? No. Does the world ever believe in reconciliation the way God believes in reconciliation? Absolutely not. The world should not navigate our issues that are within the church. So even if it comes to civil issues, it needs to be handled in the church. So he says, listen, if they don't listen to you, take two or three with you. Now, why are you taking two or three? Because you're taking two or three with you of godly people. Don't take lost people. Take two or three godly people with you because they're there to validate the story and to protect from any unjust truths being spoken. They're there as mediation, basically. And ultimately, their goal in being there is to help the person who's offended someone to come back, right? It's not just to incur any discipline. It's to bring them back. And then he says, if those people don't listen, if he doesn't listen to those people, keep it in the family. And now I want you to go to the church. Now, the church here, the translation is the assembly. It doesn't mean if David here has offended Daniel and Daniel's gone to David and David won't listen. And so then Daniel grabs Haley and Hope and Haley and Hope go and David's still not listening. Then I bring David up here on a Sunday morning and go, David has offended Daniel. He won't listen to anybody. We're going to invoke church discipline. That's not what that means. Aren't you thankful, David? That's not what that means. Here's what it does mean. The assembly means maybe they're in your small group. And now it's time to take it to the small group. You know what? Hey, David is really offended somebody, and we need to deal with this together. Why? Because that group now goes to David with what go? To bring him back, right? Are you with me? The whole purpose of conflict resolution is restoration and reconciliation of a relationship. And if that is not our motive, we're never going to do this thing right. 
If you're like, I've been hurt too bad, I've been hurt too much, I no, 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 it doesn't matter. The goal is always reconciliation and restoration. And so he says, keep it in the family until you can't keep it in the family, right? He says, and if they don't listen to the church, now what do we do with it? We treat him like a lost person. That means if it has to be handled outside the church, it has to be handled. But don't start there. Start by keeping it in the family. So here's the rules of engagement. I want you to remember these. First of all, deal with your offense, not other people's offense. Second of all, go, don't simmer. Third, go to the person, not to people. Fourth, seek to reconcile, not retaliate. And fifth, keep it in the family. Listen to me, church. That's how we deal with conflict in the body of Christ. Can I be honest? That's how you should deal with conflict in your marriage, too. That's how you should deal with conflict pretty much anywhere you go. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Since he's the son of God, I'm going to go with what he thinks, aren't you? And if that's what it means to deal with conflict and to resolve conflict, that's the path we should go down. And, And when Jesus ends this passage here, he says something very unique here. Let's go back to it, because really what I feel like Jesus is doing is he's basically saying, hey, and here's the blessing if you do it my way. Look again in verse 18, and I'll close. Truly I say to you, whoever, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two agree on earth about anything and ask it, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. I'm among them. Now, the point is this. If you choose to do conflict resolution my way, here's three blessings Jesus gives us. The first one is blessing with God's approval. He says, listen, if you will follow my ways of doing it, and you will bind these things on earth, they'll be bound in heaven. If you loose these things, in other words, if you will stay in step with me, you have my stamp of approval. If you will do it my way, not your way, you will have my stamp of approval. So the blessing of approval, it's also the blessing of God's provision. He said, if two or three agree in anything, what will I do? I'll meet their need. So if two or three were going and doing it God's way, he's like, you're going to experience my provision in your life. And then the last blessing is this, is my presence. Where two or three gather in my name, I'm where? I'm among them. Listen, if you are called and you have conflict with someone and you go do it the right way, I can promise you this, the presence of God is with you. He's not going to ask you to do it alone. If you're doing it and handling it the way God wants you to handle it, he's right there with you, going to nudge you, he's going to move in you, he's going to speak through you if you allow him to do it. So if we will do the five rules of engagement, there's blessing on the other side. So here's the thing I want you to think about. First of all, I hope you agree that the, one of the greatest threats to togetherness in the church is conflict. I've been part of a lot of churches in 30 years, and I've seen conflict. I've seen it go really well, the right way, God's way, Jesus' way, and I've seen it go really bad. So here's the question I have for you. Is there anybody here today, and don't raise your hand, but just think about this, that you're in conflict with somebody in the body of Christ? Something's happened. And it's not a molehill, it's a mountain. Well, then here's what I'm going to ask you. Will you accept these rules of engagement that Jesus has given us? And the second thing I want to ask you, even if you're not in conflict right now, will you accept these rules of engagement? Will you go home and go, this is how I'm going to deal with conflict? And listen, the next time you and your spouse have it out, give it a shot. Give it a shot. I mean, really try to go and do it the way Jesus, and see what happens. See how you realize that Jesus was right. And here's the other thing. And if you really are willing to accept these rules of engagement, second of all, will you pray and say, God, will you give me the right heart in my going? Will you make sure my motivation is reconciliation, not 
retaliation. So what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. Everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Here's, here's the invitation this morning. We're going to open this altar up for a lot of different things. First thing is maybe you know somebody that's got COVID and they're hurting and they're struggling spiritually. Man, come lay their name before the altar. Come get on your knees before a holy God and just cry out to him. Maybe you know people that are just struggling with different issues in their life, their marriage, their relationships, their friendships, their workplace. There's just a lot of junk going on and you want to lift them up and intercede on their behalf. Man, this altar's open for you. Please come and make your request known to the Lord. But this morning, if you're saying, hey, Doug, I've not really used these rules of engagement, but I'm committing to do it Jesus' way. Would you just come to this altar and say, Lord, would you give me the strength to do that? Would you give me the ability and the strength and the courage to do it your way, even when I don't want to do that? And would you just come to this altar and say, Lord, would you give me a heart to go with the right heart, not with the condemning heart? I believe that this is one of the most loving, caring churches I've ever been a part of. But I believe there's an enemy that doesn't want us to be loving and caring. And he's going to do all he can to distract and destroy togetherness. And one way he'll do it is by trying to create conflict. And we, in the name of the Lord Jesus, want to bind him from that and keep him from that. But we want to know that Jesus prepared us with these rules of engagement And may these be words not only do we hear, but words that we're willing to do. So wherever you find yourself this morning, maybe you need the courage to go. This altar's open. Maybe you just want to pray for some folks. This altar's open. Lord, we love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for your words that that Jesus spoke in Matthew 18. He gives us the rules of engagement, how we manage and deal and address conflict in the body of Christ. And God, my prayer is simple this morning, that we as children of God would just say, that's going to be how I approach it. I'm going to do exactly how Jesus told me to do it. With the ultimate prayer of reconciliation. So God, I pray for those that are in conflict right now. Maybe maybe it's in the home. Maybe it's with a friendship. Maybe it's someone here in the body of Christ that's happened. Lord, would you give them the strength to handle it the way Jesus told us to do it? And God, ultimately, my prayer is that reconciliation and restoration would take place. Oh, we love you. We need you. And would you move in this place this very moment? May we have a heart that's willing to come to you, to get at this altar and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, would you strengthen me? Lord, I lift up somebody who's going through some stuff. Whatever it is, Lord, would you give us the courage if we feel led to come and to get before you and to pour our lives out to you? God, be with us. Bless us. Lord, it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. The altar is open if you want to come.